the podcast for women in film and television. Hello and welcome to another episode of the WIFT Austin podcast co-presented by WIFT US. I'm Kelly Coffey and we have a fun and unique guest here with us today, animal trainer, wrangler, and animal talent agent, Tracy Murdoch. Tracy is a master trainer, canine behavior specialist, certified professional dog trainer, barn hunt judge, sino sport rally judge, and animal talent agent for print media, live action, and film projects. Her company, Hit the Mark Animal Talent, provides casting, scouting, and handling service for all species and animal talent in Texas and across the U.S., as well as providing consulting services for producers on sets. Some of her credits include the TV reboot of Dallas, Queen of the South, and movies like Bull and The Girl Who Believed in Miracles. Tracy is also the creator of the trademarked Hollywood Dog Class, which teaches owners how to break into show business and the reactive dog classes to help people manage their dog's behaviors at home. So please join me in welcoming Tracy Murdoch. How are you? Hi, how are you doing? I'm good today. Good, good. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Well, um, we're just going to start at the beginning. Like, how did you get into this? And what, what would you describe yourself as first and foremost? For the last 12 years, I've been doing the animal talent stuff almost exclusively. With that kind of film schedule, it's hard to do other things because you get scheduled in at the last minute. But I've been concentrating on that, doing it myself, and then teaching other people how to do it with their animals. Oh, okay. I started by having my own dog that was smarter than me. (laughs) I was first dog, got her, and was like, okay, she's driving me crazy, and carrying up everything and we need to get ahead of the game. So we started training and then I trained her to do dog sports and a bunch of stuff. And we got into using her in Barney was her first job. And then a bunch of print ads, that kind of thing. And then I figured out that I was also good at teaching other people how to do it. (laughs) And so we'll teach them to do the work and then represent their animals. Wow. Okay. So what, what kind of dog did you have? Uh, she's an Australian cattle dog. Her name they was are, They are so smart. I yeah, had... exactly. <laughs> That's my problem. They are so smart and they are full of energy. You do have to teach them to do something or they'll yes. find stuff to do on their own. It's usually yes. destructive stuff. <laughs> yes. so I trained her and then uh, studied to be a dog trainer and did that for many years and then transitioned into the talent. Wow. Okay. Well, then... How did you make that leap into animal talent agent? And explain for the listeners what exactly that is. Uh, Animal talent agent is very rare to to hear. Most Mm -hmm. people uh, get contacted by a production company asking them to use their animal in whatever project they're in. But there's not really been much of, other than LA, obviously, where they have all the movie stuff in LA, much of of a role. So what I've done is I've created a business where I am a liaison between the people who have the animals that work and the people who need the animals. And that way I'm on set every job and the animal trainer is also on set and they handle their dogs. So basically I wrangle the people (laughs) on set because most of those people don't have set experience. So they don't know how to work within the constraints and the routines of a set. And you know, if you mess up the routine of the set, then that messes up the whole shot and it ruins it for everybody. So you have to know both sides of the equation. You can't just walk in with your animal and expect to make them do tricks. <laughs> so that's kind of my role is, is getting in the middle of that and making sure that everything goes smoothly on both sides of that equation. 
you know, I imagine a lot of people don't take that part of consideration. They're like, you know what, my dog knows how to do backflips and then they go on set and they don't know how the inner workings of a set actually works. And then they mess something up and they, and then next thing you know, their dog's not getting called back for another job. Right. So. Or they get replaced by me, which happened <laughs> two summers ago and they did a proof of concept film, short film, and then they expanded it into a feature and they did not use that trainer because she was so disruptive on set. So they didn't use her dog. So I was hired to come in with another dog and we did the movie that way. Oh, wow. So it does make a difference. It's not, this is the way things work. They've figured out how the way things work over many years. And if you don't fit in, you disrupt for 40 people instead of yourself. You lose time. You might not get the shot at all. So all of that, those things could happen. And you know that the, the saying, you know, never work with kids and animals, I guess yeah. is like, you, you seem to be disproving that. <laughs> well, I call it the unholy trinity. Oh, Infants, wow. children, and animals all in the same set tend to create major chaos in general. I see. So have you personally witnessed that? Yes. <laughs> the, the infant either doesn't cry or does cry but never when you want them to. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, I mean, even though the children speak English, they're kids, you know, you can't ask a three-year-old <laughs> to do this big thing with the dog and they don't understand what's gotcha. going on. You and then of they- course the dog doesn't speak English. So <laughs> that's what want the dogs to do. And to try to do that all at the same time is, yeah. I, it I, can be fun. It can be very magical when it all works, but yes, it also can be chaos. The sun and the moon and the stars have to align perfectly yes. sometimes. Yes, they do. <laughs> so you're a master trainer and a canine behavior specialist. Did you go to like a special school? Did you train under anybody or is, how did you get those, you know, accreditations? I trained under somebody I trained under a master trainer, did all the work that she needed me to do. And then I took the certification test through the CCPTT. And that's how I'm certified. Oh, that was grueling. That was 400. I think it was 450 uh, questions. (laughs) It's a remember. It was a long time. It was some time ago and it was very long test. Wow. That is absurd. Yes. So what kind of animals do you actually work with? I saw on your website, you have dogs, cats, lizards, like the random hedgehog or two. Like it was, (laughs) it was an eclectic mix of, you know, animals. So like who all do you work with and what's the most exotic? Uh, pretty much everything, I, I except the big cats, bears, the really exotic species that you need to have a long pattern of training. Oh, okay. And usually those people are A in LA, but also they're trained every day. They're in contact with people every day and they, they understand the species. Big cats here, not so much. So <laughs> I refer out for those, but everything else pretty much. And if I haven't worked with it and it's safe and and I could be successful, then I will try. We did a pest control commercial with ants, a scorpion, and a mouse, and a basset hound. So that shows you the diversity of one project. So the many- ants were on a cook, uh, candy bar. The scorpion was walking across in front of somebody with bare feet. And then the uh, mouse was in the cupboard eating, obviously, quote unquote eating. And the... Um, Basset hound had fleas. So those were all your pests. I am blown away at the fact that you can cast ants. <laughs> yes. In a movie. <laughs> we, did, uh, we did flies for Dallas because it was a box truck full of dead people. We've done beetles for Queen of the South. That was fun because she actually held one in her hand. 
What? So <laughs> what is the going rate? Like how, how much do you charge per ant or like, how does that work? Like, that is amazing to me. Like, is it per species? Or it depends on species? the species. Well, okay. How does that work? Yes. Because exotics, they're both the safety for the animal and handling and then being housed on set. All those things are way more expensive and the training that goes in. All of those guys are more expensive. Um, dogs and cats are pretty much just local domestic rates. Mm-hmm. And then um, they, my guys make about $100 an hour for the cats and dogs and those kind of species. And then the exotics make more. So do they handle animals that belong to other people or do, are they the owners of, these, of the animals they handle themselves? It depends. I've got some wranglers that handle other people's animals as well that are skilled in my job on set. And then the trainer is there with their animal. But usually it's their own, for the dogs and cats, especially it's their own trainers. Oh, okay. And it doesn't have to be difficult. I, I do the workshops. And one of the first things I, I show is a commercial that we did for the Austin Humane Society that looked very difficult, but it was basically just dogs and cats on set filmed individually, put together to look like they were on set together and interacting, quote unquote, together. Mm-hmm. And all those dogs needed was to sit and stay and one, one dog had to wave and one dog had to bark. So if you've got a basic training level on your dog and they listen to you can stay in place, it's not a hard job. <laughs> that's, that's one thing, you know, I, I imagine like, I don't know, do puppies or like younger animals or older animals usually better suited for being, you know, on set? The trainer answer to all of this is it depends. <laughs> that was a very it diplomatic answer. <laughs> what well, if I cast a puppy, I cast a puppy with the expectation that you're going to get one shot at a time of this puppy because the puppy's <laughs> not going to stay still. Okay. <laughs> they just don't have the training level. And then it, as the dog is trained and is older, then you expect more and more of that, of that animal, not necessarily just a dog, but dogs are a big percentage of what I deal with just because that's what people ask for. Gotcha. What's the most popular animal you've worked with? Or like, who's like, like, is there like a famous one or like, you know, like, you know, a Spuds McKenzie or something? I'm aging myself, but. Not right. <laughs> I, I knew what you were talking about today. I know. <laughs> um, not really. I guess part of the fascination and, and joy of the job that I have is that I get to work with so many different animals and people and personalities and on sets. We did uh, a movie with Bill Paxton and we did a movie with a bunch of different people that when you work with them on set and you go, oh, wait, these aren't the people that are far off and out of reach and inaccessible. Bill Paxton came on set and literally greeted every single person. So it's, it's really kind of that. It's the joy of the moment and you get that perfect shot and it's just, it really is magical. I imagine it's just as good as experience for you as the director to get those shots. <laughs> yes, exactly. The director more, because that's, you know, what he, well, I mean, we're both getting paid for it, but it's vision come to life. Exactly. So that's nice. Right now we've got a car commercial on with a golden that is brilliant. It's on right now, which is why I think about it. He has to interact with the actor and they go and do stuff um, like retrieving and going camping and doing all sorts of fun stuff where the human shakes the keys and they go do something fun. Uh, and the oh, last I, shot. I've seen that. Yeah, <laughs> and the last shot, the dog shakes the keys and says, let's go do something fun. And that was two days of, of at least 12 hour days oh. for 30 seconds. 
<laughs> so, and that's, you know, a crew of a hundred people, not just wow. us. That is a lot of effort, like you say, for a 30 second commercial. So, you know, yeah. I imagine, I imagine that you have to have a good reputation of your animals being, you know, able to, like you say, you're named after your company, hit the mark on the queue. <laughs> you should add that part onto it. Hit the mark yes, on, on the, the queue. queue. Well, well okay, sometimes <laughs> they are actually animals. So, you know, but um, yes. And really my business is word of mouth. Yes. I get lots of great referrals from the people I work with. And I'm so appreciative of that because that does, it helps my reputation that I've been successful for these people and they're referring me out to, to other people that have to get the job done. Because that's really it in this industry is get it. You get the shot. That's it. Right. You got a job to do. You, but you mentioned that you worked on several movies. Um, you worked on the film Bull, which was uh, shot here in Texas. What was your involvement in that yeah. film? Uh, we had the pit bull that was the little girl's dog. Oh, I love pit bulls. <laughs> I had one. I had one. So they're, they're yes. wonderful dogs. She was great. Her name was Rain in real life. And she, this was her first job. Oh. And she, I usually don't, don't cast first timers on a, on a job of such complexity, but she had a really good rapport with the little girl and she's not really a little girl, I guess. <laughs> I'm old. So, you know. She was able to do all the things they needed her to do. So we cast her and she did an awesome job. And it was great working with them. Um, Annie Silverson had the uh, contact with the Black Rodeo. And so they had all of those riders and, and the arenas and all those set up. And I didn't actually know that they, I mean, they have horses in that neighborhood and they just ride. And I guess I just, because I'm a city girl, I'm, I guess. I never thought you'd be able to ride your horse out in the open in the city, but it was fascinating. Oh yeah. I'm one of those people. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of black country folk out there and me and my sister used to ride our horse to the store. So, nice. <laughs> so, so cool. and we do it in the city, you know, you, you'll see them all the time actually. And, um, in Houston, sometimes you'll see hitching posts outside of some clubs, you know, on the east side. And I was like, why are there hitching posts? It's like, well, because they, they they ride their horse to the club. I'm like, why you ride your horse to the club? It's like, well, you can't get a DUI on a horse. So, <laughs> and, pro- and hopefully the horse knows its way home. I don't know. Usually. <laughs> That's funny. I know now, where my barn is. That's right. So I was going to ask you if you had anything to do with the rodeo part of it, the horses and the livestock, but you, you just worked with the dog. We just did the dog. Uh, she had the already had the contacts with those guys. Mm-hmm. And when you get that high professional level of danger, really, for the yes. humans and the animals, you need the guys who do that all the time to do it in the film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a high level of commitment. Like that was, I was going to ask, like, is that part of your expertise too? Because that was pretty impressive. <laughs> I do, we do, we just did a commercial where um, we had a horse across the prairie in a wagon train oh. and then go racing off. And so that kind of job, the horse is no, really no problem. It's, we, we say we need the r- actual riders of the horse and not actors in that case. Yes. Because racing across, galloping across a field on a horse, you don't know, the horse doesn't know you. Mm-hmm. They aren't robots. And unfortunately for some people who think they are. Um, <laughs> so they, so, you know, that's uh, a huge animal that has a brain that you have to take into consideration when you do castings. Yes. 
Absolutely. Horses have their own mind too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because a dog will pretty much work for anybody, no matter what personality the person, but a cat's like, you don't like me. Therefore I am not working for you. And birds are the same. Parents can tell if you do not like them and they are not going to work with you. Oh, really? I... Yeah. You have to kind of take into consideration the species and how to get the best performance out of that individual animal and the species. I didn't know that about parrots. Yeah. <laughs> They're a little persnickety, huh? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> big, the big parrots, like the macaws, can take a finger off. So you really do have to take that into consideration. Safety that's is good. Where, that's where the handling and the training comes in. Exactly. <laughs> I say, I'm a safety girl. We, we work <laughs> on long lines and um, in con confined areas and all that kind of stuff to make sure the environment is safe for the animal as well. One of my favorite movies of all time as a child was Benji the Hunted. Do you remember that yes. movie? Okay. Yes. And and for those of you who don't know, Benji the Hunted was, Benji was this cool dog in the 80s, but, uh, <laughs> but they did a movie with Benji and there was almost absolutely no humans in this movie. It was almost purely animal talent, like mountain lions and eagles and dogs and things. And would you be able to do like a production that was just purely animal talent like that? Or is that yeah. something that- Depends on what done? they wanted. And I would probably refer out for some of the more difficult animals that needed- their own handler. But I did 18 dogs and cats on a job a couple of years ago. It just depends on what the parameters of the job are. You do it in small pieces. You don't do it in long shots. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to have the animal do five different things in one shot. You set it up so that it makes the animal successful. Right. And that's why it is. Wow. Well, speaking of movies and live animal shots, how do you feel about CGI replacing live talent? It's very expensive. So it's not actually done a whole lot. Mm. If they can get the animal to do it and maybe, for instance, if the animal has to fall asleep, we don't really do sleeping on set. It's just too <laughs> chaotic. So they'll close the eyes in post-production. So it's, oh. that is the kind of thing. And then obviously when they talk, if they make them talk, <laughs> is not real. But again, it's very expensive to do. And it's, hard to, I think, keep continuity if you're mixing the two. So I think you would either have to go one way or the other, but then technology is progressing so fast. Who knows? Right. Do you think it'll replace live animal talent eventually? I don't think so. I think because people know. Um, we did stuff for Pier 1 for years and they always wanted animals in because it increased readership. Yes. And then <laughs> Barney actually had a study that it increased viewage of their episodes by 40% if they had an animal in it. Wow. Because your heart, it's part mm -hmm. of your heart to watch the animal on set. So babies and animals. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it'll, get, it'll get you every time. <laughs> Well, let's talk about your classes. You teach a class to teach people how to get their pets. And because I imagine like everyone's like, oh, my baby's so cute. I'm going to get them into show business. Well, for some people, their dogs are their babies. So it's like, oh, my baby's so cute and so smart. You should be, you know, off of Instagram and into movies. So yeah. you teach I get a, that class. a lot. <laughs> so talk about that and how, you know, how, how if somebody at home wants like, you know what, this dog is adorable. My dog needs to be in movies. How does that happen? The first thing is training because okay. it doesn't matter how pretty they are if they can't do what <laughs> the project requires. Even just sitting still on a studio with a background and lights and stuff, dogs and cats especially don't encounter strobe lights. They don't encounter 
all the equipment that is required and the lights and the activity and the people and the noise and the power drill going off next door. And so it's really important to train and get them out in the real world so they get used to that kind of chaos. I always say, go out, go to Lowe's on a Saturday in the middle of summer. That's the chaos that, that is the set. So the animals have to get used to that. And they don't have to really be trained to a high level to begin with because you're going to gain some of that experience on set, but they all have to hold a position, sit, stay, stand, or down and hold that for some duration. So the camera can capture it. And then other things that they do, like head down is really one of the big things, just literally lay their head on the ground because they can use it in so many ways. Um, Show off the product, show off the human, you know, lay down next to the human on a sofa and watch TV, quote unquote, as a part of whatever message they're trying to send out and attention focus and the dog or the animal has to like it. Cause if you get on set and that animal's miserable, it totally shows and looks like we're <laughs> eating them <laughs> because some, some animals just don't have the personality for it. But most of the dogs, especially that I work with are like, Whoa, treats people. I can do all of this stuff. <laughs> so they're very happy. <laughs> yeah, I found out my dog would do anything for cat food. <laughs> there you go. We call that, we call it crack. So <laughs> at, on, at home and out training, you can pretty much use your regular treats. But on set, I always say you need to bring their crack because if things get too distracting, you want to bring them back. <laughs> the good stuff. Nice, nice, nice. That's a very good point. Like they say, keep some bacon in your back pocket or something exactly. like that. I actually have anchovy paste is my biggest oh, one industry. because obviously the fish smell. <laughs> so if I lose the focus, I can persuade them to get it back by using the anchovy paste. Nice industry insider tip. <laughs> so if someone wanted to be a um, animal agent, a talent agent, how does one do that? Like if you say like, you know what, I don't want to necessarily handle the cats and the dogs and the scorpions and the ants and the hedgehogs and the, and the what's not, but right. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not really good with animals, but, <laughs> but I'm good with people. So how would someone become an, a, an animal talent agent? I started with the pool of talent. So I worked with um, uh, Paige Anderson with Beast Animal Representation when I started out. And she was an art director that also provided animals. And then that turned into a a, a company for her so that she only did animals. So I worked for her and then took over that business because she passed. So she had lots of referrals already from projects because she worked with them as an art director. So that's how she started. And then getting a pool of animals. So I have always been big in the dog world, playing dog sports like fly ball and agility and barn hunt and all those kinds of sports. And that gives me a lot of connections in the dog world. And then it just grew from that. We need a zebra. Okay, well, <laughs> I have to go off and find a zebra. You know, that kind of stuff. So those kind of things I have to find for myself. But the dog world is, we can refer out and find what we need. If they need a different breed or a different set of training or a different look, that's really easy to do. Gotcha, gotcha. I looked up that you are a barn hunt judge, a Sinosport rally judge. Like what, what is that and what do you do for that? That is a dog sport that's fairly recent. I think um, 2013 was the first year we had trials. Um, and it is a hay bale maze in a ring, like a 24 by 24 foot ring. 
and the rats are hidden in tubes. So they're protected. And the dog finds the rat tube. Wow. (laughs) So they have to navigate around a course, find the tube, tell the owner they found the tube. And then they have to climb on a bale and go through a tunnel. And those are the three elements that will qualify. You get qualifications and then you get bigger titles and you're more skilled and you, that's how you win the, win the game. Okay. How big are these mazes? Like, are they like acres or like just no, it's football 24 fields? By, 24 <laughs> by 24 foot okay. oh. uh, ring and then it's enclosed. And then I think the rings go up to 24 by 30 for the bigger mazes. And we'll use maybe 60 bales in that ring. And then we literally build a course. So like a tunnel, so the dog can go through the tunnel and we pile up the bales to provide hiding places for the dog or for the rat tubes, excuse me, for the dogs to find the rat tubes. It's an instinctual thing. I think I thought at the beginning that terriers and those kind of dogs would be more skillful because that's what they do. They hunt rodents. Yeah. But really I can't think of a breed that hasn't liked it or done well at it. Cause I think it's just an instinctual thing for dogs to do. And I, that's part of my, why I judge. And I love watching the dogs do their thing. This is what I want to do. You could see the dog say that and to see the connection of the team of the human and the dog team that are running the course is awesome. That is so cool. I, I, again, mind blown. I had no idea this was even going on in the world. (laughs) I grew or I grew up in dog sports when we really only had agility and obedience and confirmation Mm -hmm. show dogs and that kind of thing. And then scent work came along where, where dogs use their nose to find odors Mm -hmm. in a similar kind of situation where we set up mazes or hide them behind things. And then we have dock diving, which is literally the dog running and jumping off the dock for a bumper and then how far they can jump 25 feet or so. I know it's incredible. (laughs) And then we have tracking where they follow a track and we have herding and rally, which is an obedience type of exercise kind of looks like agility in that you have to read the instructions and do the task instead of following a preset set of tasks. Um, And then we have, I mean, I can't even think of all the sports we have now that used to have to travel to find places (laughs) to compete. And now there's just conflicts every weekend because you want to do all the things. Well, I imagine there's people out there that are like, my dog can do that. So, (laughs) you know, there might be, you know, interesting to do with their dog. You know, you're sitting at home, like, what can I, what can I do with this dog? I can either get him into movies and get him an agent, or we can enter him into rally sports. (laughs) That's exciting. They can pay for their own food or... You know, that's what I said. Like my dog, I tell her all the time, like, you got to earn your keep sister. How do you feel about Caesar Milan? Is he someone that you guys like consider part of your community? Not really. He's a reality (laughs) TV leader. So you see what they want you to see. And everybody's methods are successful to some people. And that's what you hear. You don't ever hear about the failures. Oh, okay. Um, But (laughs) also thinking about what you want your dog to feel like when you're on set, you want the dog to be a participant. You want them to choose to work with you Mm -hmm. and choose to have fun Mm -hmm. and not be forced to do this thing that you're just beating them down for. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, that's part of the personality, but it's part of the training as well, because you have to make it fun for your dog. We're doing this together, which would be the dog sport team, (laughs) or, you know, you're having so much fun and you're getting, you know, raw chicken or whatever for this. (laughs) 
that makes it worth your while. So it's a relationship. It's not just you're telling your dog what to do. And part of that for the dog or the animal on set too, is they're not working for you necessarily. They're working for the actors. So you've got to have an animal that will go to a stranger and be just as engaged with that stranger as they are with you. Right, right. And that's actually the hardest trick of all. You have to have that joy of working both human and the dog because it's hard work. It's not like you go tell your dog to sit and you don't do anything. I'm exhausted after working all day because you're cheerleading or you're running to the monitor or you're making sure the dog's in the exact perfect position or you're worrying about if their position matches the one they just shot. So it's all those kind of things just having to think about. And the dog obviously doesn't see any of this, but they have to be willing to do stupid human tricks, basically. (laughs) They have to say, okay, I don't understand why you're asking me to do this, but I will. And here you've made it worth my while. So now I'm happy about it. (laughs) It works out in the end. But for those, the people that want to get their dogs involved again, just start the training. Just get them out of the house. Cats, make sure they can walk on leash. I mean, it could be that. But cats, especially people don't get out of the house. So if you don't get a cat out of the house and then you go take them somewhere to do a job, they're going to not understand this at all (laughs) so part of it is is setting your animals expectations of the fun they're going to have when you take them to new places okay (laughs) a a good start (laughs) um but there's a ton of training classes out there and as long as your animal learns to learn if you train them to learn things it doesn't matter what that thing is if you could teach it so if on set they change the tasks for me and I have to do something else instead of jumping on the sofa to lay down. They want the animal to um, put its paws up on the back of the sofa and look over. Well, I didn't train that. But as long as my learner understands how to learn that, it doesn't matter what I teach them. I can teach them to do that very quickly. That's very good to know <laughs> that you can get that done. I mean, okay, let's paint a picture. Let's say I have a three-legged chihuahua then I want to, I think that is adorable. I'm off Instagram and I'm like, you know, I want my, my dog deserves to be in the next, you know, James Bond movie or whatever. What would be my first step when I just call Tracy Murdoch? What would be the process, the steps? I have a a contact form on my website that you can use, but you can also go to the hit the mark animal talent Facebook page. Okay. That's where I post most of my stuff. All right. So I post finished jobs so they can see what the ads look like. Could your animal do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also post open casting calls on that so that if I need a medium-sized dog that can walk next to a couple down the street, then I would post that and say, if your animal meets these specifications, here's how to submit them. They can send me an email as well. And then I, we post our workshop dates on that page. Awesome. So if they want to get the real training, then they can do that as well. Are you flooded with calls about people wanting to get their animals in or? Yeah, I get lots of emails and I respond, here's how to start. And (laughs) unfortunately, a lot of people, but you know, some people just don't have time Mm -hmm. to put the foundation work in. Yeah. And that's okay. But it really is more than a pretty face. I mean, looks and talent matter, but the dog world talent is more and skills are more important than the looks. 
when I submit animals for a casting, even if they wanted a Labrador, I send other dogs. And if they want a Labrador that could do the, or a dog that can do this very specific list of skills, they only get the dogs that can do those skills submitted. <laughs> so no matter how pretty they, if they really wanted this Dotson that was gorgeous, but he can't do anything but sit there. I don't send him. They only get the dogs that can do that action. I'm not going to set myself up for anything, <laughs> but training, training, training. So you have dogs or animals that are exclusively listed through you that if somebody wanted them, they can only go through you or do you represent just a lot of owners or do you represent the owners or the animals? Both, <laughs> both <laughs> and both actually. There's not a whole lot of um, places to call to get animals. So <laughs> there, it, it exclusively doesn't really matter because there's not a whole lot of other choices, but because the dog is quote unquote considered property, it's the owners that I work with legal wise and then their dogs are on set. So all of that has to all come together to make it work. And then we do things like, even if you have a full-time job, if you want your animal involved and you do the training that we will wrangle on set for you if you can't get off work. Oh, I always prefer the animal owners to be there, but it's not... It's not a um, impediment necessarily. Good to know. What projects do you have going on next? Do you have anything that you're working on? I saw that you produce some things. Is there anything that you're doing project-wise? Unfortunately, the scheduling cycle of my job is not great for scheduling. So I get maybe a week's notice. I'll get longer, obviously, for movies and stuff. But for commercials and ads and stuff, they're just like, Monday, we need this <laughs> dog for Friday. So my schedule is a bit weird at times. So when I cast a job, I put the casting call out, I submit, they approve, and then we do the job. So that's about a week out generally. Well, one last question, and we're going to wrap this up. And this is kind of a fun one. If there was a movie made about your life, who would play Tracy Murdoch? Would it be, you know, would it be a comedy, a musical, uh, (laughs) like the Tracy Murdoch story starring... I don't even know. Jodie Foster. Word. (laughs) That's right. Have fun and be stern when you need to be, Mm -hmm. but also have fun in in what you're doing. All right. Nice. Would it be a a comedy, a drama, a musical, a a a sci-fi fantasy? (laughs) My life has been all of those things. Exactly. Right now, along with the rest of the of us, I'm sure it's a drama, but hopefully it'll be a comedy soon. <laughs> I imagine it would be like surrounded by animals, like whatever it yes. would be, it would just be a ton of animals in it. Yes. It'd be great. Get that zebra I have you were talking dogs, about. So that help if that helps you. There you go. Surround yourself with zebras and camels and you know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, actually have somebody else take care of them and then go play with them on set and then send them home. That's right. I'm like the grandmother. That's I'm right. Like, I have all the fun. And then somebody else takes care of them. Get out of here. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) But grandma said I could do it. (laughs) Well, where can everyone find you online? So if everyone wants to reach out to you, I got a dog. We need to get out there. My cat or my tarantula, you know, where can, where can everyone find you? Hit the mark animal talent.com. Okay. Or hit the mark animal talent on Facebook. We have a page. Nice. Nice. And all of the contact information for me is on both those places. Perfect. Perfect. Is there any animal you won't accept? I don't know. 
I haven't had it happen. And mostly it would be like if they couldn't do it. If mm. I felt the dog especially would be too stressed out by what we're asking them to do. <laughs> right. If they didn't have the right personality for the work. That more than what the animal was in general. Great. Although cockroaches freak me out. Everybody's got to have a line somewhere. <laughs> what is the going rate for a cockroach? How much does a cockroach get paid a day on a set? I charge the, the my basic thing is $100 an hour for animals like that. But like for a cockroach, you'd get 20 of them, obviously, for that <laughs> one price. Wow. As opposed to the dog where, where it's per animal. Well, Tracy, thank you so much. This has been great talking to you and you've opened my eyes today and I'm sure a lot of other people too. So thank you so much for hanging out with us and we really appreciate you being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to us. This has been another episode of the Whipped Austin podcast co-presented by Whipped US. I'm Kelly Coffey and thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to seeing you here next time. Movie reviews. Hey friends, it's Summer and I'm super excited to talk to you about the hilarious movie, The Little Hours. It came out in 2017 and it has a star-studded cast. Alison Brie, Dave Franco, Kate Micucci, Aubrey Plaza, John C. Riley, Molly Shannon, Fred Armisen, Nick Offerman, and Lauren Weedman. This movie is laugh out loud funny, super raunchy, super improv. Actually, I say improv because I looked on IMDb and it actually says the writer and director Jeff Baina only wrote down a detailed outline. The cast improvised their lines. I think that is the best thing. And it's perfect for this cast because everyone has worked on comedy for years And so you know that everyone here could do it super, super well, especially Aubrey Plaza. I love her with all my heart. I think she's amazing. And she is the reason that I watched this film. And I was crying laughing. And I also love it because they're using, obviously, very raunchy, dirty language, very modern language also, but it's taken place in like this medieval time. It is the greatest thing. And each character is just extremely angry for some reason. If you don't already know, the synopsis of The Little Hours is, in the Middle Ages, a young servant fleeing from his master takes refuge at a convent full of emotionally unstable nuns. (laughs) Introduced as a deaf-mute man, he must fight to hold his cover as the nuns try to resist temptation. Also, Alison Brie and Dave Franco are married, and just to watch their chemistry on screen, it's just so different. Like, you sometimes forget that they're married, and they're doing so well. I absolutely agree that these nuns were extremely unstable. Fantastic job by Courtney Bright and Nicole Daniels for this casting. You couldn't have anyone better. Like, you really couldn't. I've been watching Molly Shannon since she was on SNL. Now, I think I've mentioned this before. I was born in 1997. I've watched SNL forever. And every single thing she's in, she's so versatile. She can be funny. She can be very serious. And she just blew me away. (laughs) And this movie is very authentic, 
I guess, in the way that they filmed. They actually filmed in Italy. Susie Mancini did an incredible job on the production design. Of course, they're shooting on location, but like she made everything look even more real. Also, Natalie O'Brien for the costume design. I think she did everything right. She was great. The movie is rated R for graphic nudity, sexual content, and language. So if you are kind of iffy about stuff like that, I wouldn't recommend watching this. I'm perfectly fine with it, but just wanted to put that out there so you don't go in blind and be like, oh my gosh, she recommended this movie. I don't want to see this anymore. You know, I just want to let people know. Sex and nudity is severe. Profanity is absolutely severe. So it's go at your own risk. With that being said, if you do want to watch the film, it is on Amazon Prime. It's super, super funny. I hope you love it as much as I did. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great day. Member Spotlight. Hi, I'm Christine Hagen-Young, and today I'm with WIFT Houston member Jenny Waldo. Jenny is a writer, producer, and director, most recently of a short film called Acid Test, and is also a professor and program coordinator for Houston Community College's film program. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's good to have you. First, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your focus is in the film and TV industry? Yeah, well, I, uh, I'm originally from Washington, D.C., and I pretty much got my start there in the documentary educational world because that's kind of what's based around there. But I really was interested in fictional scripted filmmaking. So I went to USC, got my master's in film production there, got a taste of the LA scene and, you know, working on things. Strangely enough, I kept on working in documentary as I was also doing scripted stuff. And I've kind of I kind of can't ever really let go of that documentary kind of background. And I find it's influenced my scripted stuff a lot along the way. But uh, I've, you know, really become focused on being a writer director. I also produce, I produce other people's stuff. I produce my own stuff. But when I walk on set and I become the director, I need to have other producers on set because I can't be worrying about whether lunch is on time or what you know equipment isn't showing up I'm just in director mode so that's what I've been focusing on these last few years that's awesome what are you working on right now as you mentioned uh most recently I did a short film called acid test it uh was shot in Houston with a completely local cast and crew uh, except for a couple of our actors who are originally from Houston and that went on the festival circuit, it went to Austin Film Festival. Uh, I went, you know, all around uh, the country. It went to Germany. It was great. And uh, I had always wanted to turn it into a feature film. You know, I think a lot of filmmakers that having done a feature film is always that like badge of honor that you're always kind of like working yourself up to. And so I felt like I needed to just do it. And so I developed a feature film. We went into production back in 2019. We shot it over 21 days. We had a a class of students from Houston Community College come on and PA, which was great experience for them. 
And again, entirely shot in Houston, local cast and crew, then COVID hit (laughs) and we've been putting it together, but it's finally finished and ready for festival Um, we've been applying and you know fingers crossed we'll you know get into some good festivals and uh, find distribution I've never been on this end of you know a feature film distributing it so it's it's a whole brand new world for me (laughs) that's so exciting congratulations (laughs) thank you (laughs) it's a huge feat (laughs) yeah (laughs) what drew you to WIFT well I've been a member I mean ever since my beginning days in DC you know, I think there's so much unknown about this industry and so many different hurdles and directions and people, people navigate this industry in very interesting and unique ways. And there isn't really one right answer. And I think, you know, we always say it's who you know in this industry, but sometimes just even figuring out what you want to do and how you want to do it I love learning from other people and hearing their own stories. And so I joined when I was in DC and then when I was in LA and I'm actually still part of the LA chapter just because there are certain benefits, but I'm also a member of the Houston chapter. And um, that allows me to also sponsor students through Houston Community College. So we have about 10 students that get membership through that. And um, I think it's just a great network of people. A lot of people get a lot of support. Acid Test was part of the Women in Film and Television International short film showcase. And I went up to Dallas where they were screening there. And obviously we screened it in Houston as well. I think it's important to be part of these kinds of organizations and especially, you know, with marginalized filmmakers and you know just having a place where you feel supported and where there are opportunities it's really hard to find that community yeah especially as a woman filmmaker (laughs) starting out it's very hard where do you see your career in 10 years well it's interesting I really do love writing features But I think everyone, or like everyone, I've been amazed at what's developed in television. The amount of character exploration and development that you can do in television is exciting. So I've started kind of writing some some spec pilots and, and developing some projects that, you know, originally I thought they might be features, but now it would be better in this kind of longer format where you really can dig into the world and dig into the characters. Now that the film is finished and we're looking at festivals, I'm kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe the next one I'll have name talent, you know, like something that will kind of bump us up into the next rung of filmmaking. So I don't know. It's just about kind of moving forward and doing work that I feel passionate about. Cool. Well, where can we keep up with you on social media? So uh, I'm at Jenny Waldo, J-E-N-N-Y-W-A-L-D-O. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And then the film is Acid Test Film. And uh, it's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And also websites, JennyWaldo.com and AcidTestFilm.com. You can follow us along there. And um, it's exciting to see where we go from here.
Yes, I can't wait to see the next steps for acid test and everything else that you're working on. Thank you. Thanks so much for meeting with us, Jenny. Thank you for having me. It was great. And if you are in the Austin area and you'd like to become a member of WIFT Austin, go to WIFTAustin.com or you can go to WIFTUS.org to find a local chapter near you. Entertainment News. This is Kelly Coffee bringing you some entertainment news. Directors Mallory Everton and Stephen Meek's road trip adventure Recovery was just picked up by indie distributor Decal. The company purchased the full U.S. distribution rights for the film. The feature comedy, which premiered at the 2021 South by Southwest Film Festival and produced in partnership with BuzzFeed Studios, tells the story of two sisters traveling across country to rescue their grandmother, whose nursing home suffers a COVID-19 outbreak. The screenplay was co-written by Whitney Call and Everton, who also co-stars in the film. A partial theatrical and VOD release is planned for later this fall. 20th Television has signed Monica Lewinsky's production company Alt Ending to a first look producing deal. Lewinsky also happens to be finishing the latest installment of the American Crime Story anthology series, Impeachment American Crime Story, on which she also serves as producer. Impeachment, set to premiere in September 2021 on FX, will chronicle the 1998 impeachment of former President Bill Clinton, including Lewinsky's involvement. The star-studded cast for impeachment includes Clive Owen, Edie Falco, and Sarah Paulson. Since then, Lewinsky has successfully become a writer, speaker, activist, and producer. Lewinsky is also set to star in and executive produce the upcoming HBO Max documentary, 15 Minutes of Shame, which will take an in-depth look at the public shaming epidemic in our culture. And finally, a press release from the Cannes Film Market announced that they will be reteaming with the organization Parenting at Film Festivals to provide COVID-safe professional childcare at Cannes. Designed to support parents participating traveling with kids, this service will include priority access to enter the Palais, a baby lounge, and fun activities planned for the kids. The daycare center will be available for children aged six months to 12 years for a maximum of six hours at a time for each child during the Cannes Festival. This initiative comes after received past criticism for Cannes' lack of accommodations for parents attending the festival with children. And that's it for entertainment news. Until next time. This episode of the WIFT Austin podcast was produced by Kelly Coffey and Chantel James. Our editors are Shannon Steffen and Valerie Torres. Summer Hart is our movie review critic. You can find us on the web at WIFTAustin.com and on social media at WIFTAustin. Thanks for listening, everybody.